We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make me. All right, what is up, Hornets fans? Welcome back to another Buzz Beat. We are a Charlotte Hornets podcast. If you want to learn more about our private podcast feed, where you can get an ad, where you can get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and exclusive content, please visit buzzbeat.substack.com. I know that Richie's doing some stuff over there. I know our Good friend and, and co-host Lee Branscom has got a I don't know if it's a bi-weekly column or a weekly, but it's every it's ten games. Good, every ten games. Every ten games. Thank yeah. you. So, but it is a good like if you just need to parachute in and get an update of where the Hornets are this year, which is probably where most fans are, right? Like I, if you're watching every night, I I salute you. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Lee and I recorded a podcast after the the Celtics Hornets game the other night, which was like Maybe in the history of this podcast is maybe the most pointless post game pod that's ever <laughs> been ever been recorded because that game was a joke uh, about five and a half minutes into it. But yeah, lots of great content, including you know post game podcast where we uh, discuss uh, the meaninglessness of, of life, the fragility of life, and uh, yeah, the up and down, uh, the ups and downs of uh, the Charlotte Hornets. You know, Buzzbeat's not a big enough uh, podcast enterprise to like have a spinoff podcast but this would be the year to do it you know just like <laughs> hey, we're gonna talk about social issues and like maybe some uh some different teams around the league just something to take your mind off the season yeah uh, I, i'll talk to richie about that offline but um, spencer spencer for years i've like i've dreamed uh considered at the least you and i doing a virginia basketball podcast yeah. and uh given they are let yet to lose this season as we're recording the night before they play James Madison. You know, knock on wood, but this maybe would have been a good time to have. Uh, yeah, would have been done a-, a deep dive on the Cavs this year. Well, you never know what the, what the future holds. Yeah, it, it's been a fun year. Um, yeah, let, let's. I guess before we jump in, and I, I guess I'll tease the audience before they, we bore them with college basketball talk for a few seconds. Um, on tonight, we're gonna we got some a few. Listener questions. We'll start with those. We want to talk about some kind of where the trade landscape is right now with the Hornets. Uh, it, it seems pretty obvious that unless there's unless they're stupid, they, they're going to be a seller this year. And I think there's going to be plenty of buyers. The West is busy yeah. with teams that that can at least talk themselves into being real contenders. Uh, and then just kind of bounce around on some big uh, big topic: who's been good, who's been bad on the team. Mostly bad, obvious, obviously, but. <laughs> Well, BG, yeah, yeah. So you, your full time job is is uh, college hoops. So, what what do you got? What do you got on the ACC? It seems pretty. It seems like a five team, maybe six team league this year. We seems pretty bleak in the middle and the bottom. Yeah, it's not. It's not off to a good start. I think there are reasons to be to be like fairly optimistic heading into the season. It just has not. Certainly, UNC losing four straight now. Um, when they were considered to be the league's top team, has not been good. Louisville's been like arguably the worst 
Division One basketball team, winless, zero and eight, Louisville. Uh, like Kenny in the Kenny history Kenny of college basketball, maybe I, or just it's looking. <laughs> I mean, this has to be pretty much without precedent. And like, yeah. you know, they lost some close games to start the season, and since then they've just been getting pounded. So it's not. It's really not great. But they. It's one of those things where, like, you know, because this has become so transient now, like, you can like build up and build, you know, you know, destroy rosters quickly now with um, with the transfer portal. Like, there's a real opportunity for like in year one of a new coach to really like do some damage. Like we saw this yeah. with, I mean, I guess it was year two for Steve Forbes at Wake Forest, but um, you know, Louisville brought back a lot of guys from last year's team. They got. Uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield in the transfer portal from Tennessee, who's a good player with some like, you know, pro potential. I know Lee likes him a lot too. Um, but they just like whiffed on every guard they tried to get, including Tyrese Hunter, who's killing it for Texas right now. And, you know, looks like a draft pick for the Longhorns. And so the roster is just like really imbalanced. They, they really have like only one guy that can create his own shot and L Ellis, and he's not uh, the most efficient, but Virginia looks really good. I think Duke looks pretty good, not quite fully formed. And I don't think this is like, you know, they're not the team of a year ago at Duke, but Duke looks good. Um, And like when they get fully formed, uh, Dariq Whitehead, you know, in the mix, you know, this is a guy who's three months removed from foot surgery on his right foot. Mm -hmm. But Whitehead is a guy that we'll see once the draft rolls around, like, we may have to be thinking about him with regards to the Hornets. Um, if they end yeah. up in the, if the Hornets end up picking in the four to eight range or whatever, but he's, he's had a really tough start to the season, but you want to be patient with him. Uh, Kyle Filipowski's looked awesome. Like he's been the best. I think Kyle Filipowski has been the best player in the league so far. Hmm. Um, I would say Reese Beekman has been maybe one, a one B with Filipowski, but he's been awesome. NC State's a little interesting. I think they're mm-hmm. like I was sort of higher on them than the consensus before the year started. Bad loss, not a great loss to Pitt uh, last week, but like Terquavion Smith's having a nice season. I think he's made some strides as a playmaker. Uh, but overall, the league itself not looking real, real good outside of like Virginia, Duke, Virginia Tech, I guess Clemson, you know, maybe NC State. So, um, I don't know. And then obviously you have teams like, you know, Florida State and Louisville are combined one in 17 on the season. That's <laughs> wild. That's crazy, like, man. And Florida State, like that, and maybe with Louisville, there was a lot of uncertainty, but Florida State, you just did see this coming. Uh, like Cleveland's back, you know, the point yeah. guard's back. His name's escaping me right now. Jalen, Jalen, Caleb Mills and Jalen yeah, Mills. I, yeah, yeah. I do think that, and like they that's, did. That's been shot. It, it, but look, they put up a real fight at Virginia. They did. Out. It was yeah. really close. And actually, like, they did some, like, that was, look, Reese Beekman is like, in my opinion, he's the best perimeter defender in the country. And has been the best defender in the ACC for like at least two seasons now. But like he didn't have his best like a one defensive game against FSU. I didn't think Darren Green got him on some movement threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Morley got him on. Caleb Mills got him on some drive bys and some shot fakes. It was not his like best. And I mean, I think the thing with FSU is just stuff snowballed. It's like yeah. Bob Bob Miller, who is supposed to be the best prospect on that roster. You know the NCAA suspends him for eligibility issues for the first however many games. And look, they're also missing, and and Miller wouldn't help in this regard, but they just haven't really found a point guard to replace Trent Forrest. Like two seasons ago, it was like they went with the Raekwon Gray, Scotty Barnes hybrid, and like that worked pretty well. Like they were awesome that year. And, you know, those guys are pros, and Scotty Barnes is a, you know, really um, impressive young player in the NBA. And then last season you saw it where there was sort of like point guard by committee. Mills is probably a little overcast as like a, he's more of a combo than a one. Um, But they just don't, it doesn't feel like they can really like, like Matthew Cleveland's a good player. Jalen Morley's had a tough start to the season, but is a a decent prospect. Darian Green can really shoot. Mills can get hot and score, but they just don't have someone to like constantly bend the defense. Yeah. Pick and roll, get them into their stuff. I, you know, Matthew Cleveland's not Scotty Barnes by any stretch no. of the imagination, but I did think, you know, he's got enough just lengthy creation. Yeah. Kind of, like you can put him on positions in the floor where I just thought 
man, that guy could take a huge jump. And Florida State could be a top four ACC team this year. I, I think so they it's were shocking to me. I think they were. I mean, I think that was part of the bet with them. But like, it, he, I, I still maintain that like Matthew Cleveland isn't is like a pretty good defensive wing. I think he's a pretty good cutter, and I think he can be a, a beast in transition. Right. But like teams can just go under screens on him. Like he can't shoot, and it's it's a pretty limiting factor. And the other thing with FSU too is like when you think about those Florida State teams from a couple of years ago that were like pretty dominant. Like it won the ACC, were arguably the best team in the country in 2020 before everything got shut down with COVID. Like yes, they had incredible personnel: Devin Vassell, Devin Vassell, Trent Forrest, Raquan Gray. Uh, Balsa Kopravica, Patrick Williams, like these are like, themselves like a very good NBA player already. Some of those guys are carving out careers for themselves in the league too. So they had talent, but the way they switched and flew around on defense, yeah, it was just so. Yeah, there were some games you could kind of get them out of. You could you could speed them up, and if you hit your threes, you could really punish them because you could create open threes with them because they were so aggressive, denying passes. But that team was so connected. They communicated so well. And it just feels like – It's just like – I mean, the possessions that I think of with that team are like, you know, Trent Forrest would get switched on to a big guy. The opposing team would try to post him up. And, like, that's no walk in the park to try to post up Trent Forrest, who's like an NFL strong safety at point guard. But then it would be Patrick Williams or Devin Vassell flying in from the backside to, like, intercept a a post-entry pass. And I just don't see the connection with the, with the defense right now, and um, and then you know they had some bad luck in some early season games too. So well, they'll um, be better. I mean, they'll be yeah. better at the end of the year. But yeah, this hole is too deep to dig out of. Um, yeah. Yes. You know, on on I, you know I haven't seen much of Duke. What I was gonna say, I was gonna try to watch them tonight. That Iowa game is tonight, right? Yes. Yeah. It's nine 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 thirty start up in the Garden. Uh, we're, okay. we're recording this on a Tuesday the sixth. Tuesday yeah. night. Yeah. And the Virginia. Um, yeah. I mean. My only comment, you know, you and I have texted about it, but, you know, I, I just think the transfer portal has treated them well. You know, that Vanderplas from Ohio has given them a dynamic they needed, just be able to stretch the floor. He's got a little – I mean, he's a good outside shooter. He's kind of got a quick trigger for a big guy, which is a kind of a closing space problem for defenses. He can put it on the floor. He's, he can be a playmaker. He's not great at any of them, but he's kind of a master of all. It's like a B minus kind of everything, you know. Yeah, just just yes, exactly. So um, Clark's been awesome. Beekman, maybe the most improved player in the offensive player, I would say, maybe in the nation. Uh, defensively, you would know this the last few years. I mean, you would know this, BG, but most of the nation wouldn't know this. But he's always been elite defensively, Incredible. and now it's just he's playing with so much confidence. He's got the quickest. Hey, I mean, he, he is like a an elite corner or something yeah. in the NFL. Just yeah. how quick his hands and how quickly his closing time is. And then I've just been really pleased with Bennett going outside of the box, getting into passing lanes more. And it's not just it's not just Beekman. Like Virginia is extending the defense just a little bit. It's still mm-hmm. pack line, but it feels like it's a, it's more of a democratic pack line. And I would say that they're playing with a lot of pace. Yeah. And that's something that Virginia fans have not seen really ever under Bennett. I mean, you know, the national championship team did it just because they got to a point in the season where like, all right, these guys are that good. Like they're just going to play basketball, right? But Bennett is doing less coaching and more, I would say, just game management, right? Like like less damage control, which he's he's good at, and more just coaching the moment because – it feels like this team has the capability to make a Final Four, if not win a national championship. They, I mean, like they're like the the alchemy of this team is. I mean, they basically they brought back the same starting lineup, but like they are doing stuff differently. It's not, yeah, it's not defensively. It's not all pack line. Like they're, they're you'll mm-hmm. see them. Like they're icing some side ball screens this year. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're doing some of that. Um, I think sometimes Shedrick, Caden Shedrick, who's a really good young defensive center for them. I think sometimes he even kind of gets caught in between like, oh, oh, heck, what are we doing this time? Hedging or dropping. Yeah, and so sometimes sometimes I've noticed he's gotten like – it happened against FSU. He got caught out of position on on one of them and gave up some some driving lanes. But like he also has like the size and speed to close that stuff down and recover and make play – cover ground and make plays at the rim. And and I would say like offensively, like it's just not all block or mover. Like that's certainly part of it. But you've seen a lot like a – there's been a really 
defined effort to empty the corners and run empty side pick and roll. Yeah. You're also seeing them because of Vanderplas, they can they can play four out more, you know, which is something they just couldn't do last year. And you're also seeing they're running they're running a lot of this like like spread pick and roll. I'm saying that in air quotes. Where like they'll, they'll, they're still having two posts on the court, but then like Gardner, if Shedrick's setting the screen, Gardner's down the block ducking in. Yeah, and like it's not great from a spacing perspective, but they're they're kind of eating off that right now. Um, and they're getting like enough, a, they're getting enough shooting from Franklin and Clark and Beekman. And to your point about Vanderplas, like I I do think. I shouldn't say he's like a B minus in everything. I think he's a B minus in a lot of stuff. He might be like a B plus A minus passer for like a power forward. And yeah. his ability is to skip. I thought I thought last year the ball with Virginia, like every half court possession was like had to be station to station. It was like it was just like yeah. tic tac toe passing all just. It just was to, so like, easy for defenses to yeah. keep it on one side of the floor. Just, yeah. t- totally, just just to get like a sixteen foot jump shot. You know, 25 seconds into the clock, and you're just like, yeah, man, yeah. this was just like excruciating to watch. And because Beekman has made his strides as a passer, and he can hit the skip off the pick and roll, or or out of or out of just like one on one ISO drives. Now Vanderplas, I just think the ball is like flipping sides of the court a little bit more, and yeah. that's probably like you know guys are getting better shots because of that. And last thing I would say, uh, because of Beekman, he you you touched on it. The, the quickest hands in the ACC, like just hands down. The dude's got, I mean, he's he's got the like Kawhi Leonard style. Like if you're dribbling yeah. the ball too close to him, he's going to take it from you. If you're trying to go up for a layup against him one on one, you got to have that thing covered up until like it is it is time to put it above his head. Because if not, he gets he gets so many blocks that are at like chest level. Yeah, it's yeah. He just crazy. gets his hand on top of it and just it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, well, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's and it's not only on the ball. I mean, of, of course he's an awesome on the ball defender, but his anticipation off the ball is just as elite. Yeah, you know it, his, his ability to read incredible. something, not even one pass away in the passing lane. His ability to read flying up to the top yeah. and the help, like he's yeah. he's really a free safety out there. Yeah, he took um, special. Off the ball. A really yeah. a spe- like he get. I mean, the majority of the steals he gets, and he gets a ton of them. They come on those off ball. He just being in gaps, yeah. picking off passes. His anticipation on that side of the court is special, and you mix it with his um, just like his movements. And and you you talked about the like his cover corner abilities. It, I think about that whenever teams try to run him in pick and roll as the defender because his screen navigation is just it's absurd. Like he just yeah. he just like he's got like the Paul George he just like glides over screens you just don't you can't shake this guy um, and that's where I think Bennett is leaning into we haven't like I've seen him do it some but I don't think I've seen a lot of steals off this kind of stuff but if he's guarding the ball on a screen and roll and Vanderplas or Gardner or whoever it is or Shedrick anticipates like hey you're you're pinned you're behind it you got to take the switch like he'll step back towards the ball get over a step and then yeah. recover at the last second to try to bait that pass back you know he's, just, he's such a heady iq player to keep it like horned somewhat related here i would i mean i don't know charlotte could use a guy like that but no, that nuggets pick he, late in the first he, round he like his fit with lamello makes a lot of sense right because yeah. like he gives you the point of attack defense you're seeing this. You're seeing the some of the like. Could he be a secondary creator for sure? I also like I, the thing that like I've been thinking about with Beekman since his freshman year now is I think I think some of this was seeing Bruce Brown seeing the success of Alex Caruso as a short roll guy. Bruce Brown being mm-hmm. a short roll guy, and certainly he's turned into to more this season for Denver. But thinking that if Beekman's shot in in the if his shot in pick and roll game, if it never quite got up to snuff, and by the way, like I think it's, I think it's there now. I think this is, I think he's already, he's he's trending in the right direction. In think, college, can it can yeah, can it translate to? But, but I think he could, I think he could also be a short roll playmaker, and For so sure. that's something you could also you with Lamelo that could also work too. It's like he's, the dark, it, dark screen screens. So I, I think the Baylor game and the um, Illinois game are probably the best two examples of how good of a 
drop off, short passer he is in tight spaces. Yeah, it's and how it's, quickly he can do that stuff in the paint. And, and like you said, doesn't have to come off him being the ball handler in the pick and roll. He can be the Bruce Brown short roller. You yep. see, you see him like they have at times during his career used him at the nail against zone defenses. Like I look for things where you're like, okay, that kind of like mimics a short roll, you know? Yeah, right. And 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 playing him at the nail as a, in like an offensive sets against zones because they've run so much blocker mover and he's also had to share playmaking duties. A lot of Beekman's playmaking opportunities his first two seasons, especially were him curling off of down screens, right? And there's the, yeah. the defense has been bent a little bit and you've got to make the decision, shoot the runner, hit the roll guy, uh, kick it out to the guy coming off the boomerang or the flare screen. And so I think some of that sort of like tight, quick, short space decision-making has the ability to translate perhaps into short roll playmaking and on the next level. But I don't think I'm wish casting that either. I mean, I think that's like a legit, no. a, a legit thing, but all right, we've, we've, Richie is going to crack up when he, well, when he hears this, but the only yeah. thing, the only last thing I'll say is we need like a, now the college hoops is upon us. We need like a, a name for this segment. So I'm yeah. open to send us recommendations, ideas, when yeah. we talk college hoops, it's probably going to be mostly ACC hoops, but send us some ideas. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll bounce this segment off every now and yeah. then. But yeah, Brian's right. Richie's going to roll his eyes. So yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So, so why don't we get into some of the talk? Let's actually talk some Hornets here, and let's get into right. some. Of the they are still an actual basketball yeah. team that yeah. plays in the NBA, yeah. so we will discuss them. All right. So first, um, want to jump into a listener question. This came uh, from Substack. If you have the Substack app, which is now available for all Android users, you can send us questions or chat about the Hornets uh, with your phone. We received a lot of questions from James S. this week, uh, and here's what he asked. The first question is about Miles Bridges. I think we can skip over it quickly, BG. I, you know, it's a legal situation. I, I know the case has been uh, pushed back, pushed back. I, I don't have anything to add. Do you have really anything to add at this point? No, not since, not since this summer. No real updates. I mean, like, you know, Richie and I recorded after the arrest of Bridges happened – um, you know, I, I think I speak for all of us here. We, we certainly condemn what Bridges did. And, um, I, I mean, I, I maintain my belief. I don't want to see this guy play in, in a Hornets jersey again. We've tried to not talk about him so much in terms of like basketball. Like we've, we've tried to keep it to, to sort of light away from the court. Now at times we've had to veer into discussing the roster in a way to, 
um, to address not having, um, you know, bridges beyond the active roster, but I, I am, I would hope the team continues to push forward with, without this guy in, in the plans. And yeah, as far as where he sits, you know, I just can't speak to the, the legality of, of where his case is being held currently. Um, as far as bridges goes. Yep. Agreed. Well, we'll jump to the second question then. I think it's a good one. Uh, what is the realistic minutes target for Kai Jones at the backup four is the end of the question. But, you know, he, he has been getting more minutes recently. Yeah, I'll let you start with this one, BG. I re- regretfully have not seen a lot, probably not 50% of the Hornets last four or five games, so I've missed out on some Kai Jones. But what are your feelings about I, – I would imagine these minutes go up as the season – continues to move on but what do you think that would that would be the hope i mean a couple weeks ago lee and richie and i recorded a pod where we talked about this this was like a game or two into this like recent stretch of kai jones like being a part of the like legitimately a part of the rotation and it started with kai initially getting like the seven to eight minutes out of a game that were that had been earmarked for jt thor right and and but because he showed some good flashes and because the season is lost completely you know he started to play a little bit more there's been some fluctuation but we're now looking at the span of the last two to three weeks eight games kai jones has played 14 minutes a game in some of those games he's been above 20 minutes some of those games he's been closer to 10 so again small sample fair amount of variance but the way he's playing right now if anything, he's only going to continue to play more to your point, Spencer, especially as the season becomes, as it trends further into what is, what is self-evident that should happen, which is that this team is bad. LaMelo's hurt. They should lean into a tank period. And part of that would be playing the young guys more. So I would love to see Mark Williams, who's played only 13 minutes for the Hornets so far this season. Like anytime, you know, you want to bring that guy up from Greensboro to play him a little bit more against actual NBA competition would be uh, would be great. But part of that is also playing Kai Jones more. Um, you know, he's, he's stuck behind PJ right now, and PJ is going to play. Um, I think there are opportunity, opportunities to play those guys more together. That's something I talked about the other week as well. I think there's some stuff you can obviously do with those two guys to, to kind of like juice the offense and give Kai a real role. Because the thing that I'm seeing with him now as a limiting factor is less the defense and more, well, what's he doing on offense in the half court? Which is, right now, the plan is he just crashes the glass, he sets the screen, and that's mostly fine. But if, if you're going to lean into his development, you get, there needs to be a couple possessions per game where if you're, you're not running it for him, like he's, he's part of it. There's something for him there that if, yeah. the, if the play gets to its second or third progression, well, then you snap into the action for Kai. But... I've been of the belief if you if you play him with PJ, that allows him to be the screen and dive guy. It also you can run the offense through PJ and at the elbow and turn Kai into a cutter. And I've said this before previously. I think there's I would borrow some stuff that New Orleans does for Zion to get him coming out of the corner and getting him downhill while having another center on the court. If Kai's playing with Nick Richards, who's had a, a really right. nice season, or Mason Plumley. Um, but I, look, I think he'll start to play more. I think one of the ways to get him more playing time, certainly, though, will be if and when there's a trade for Plumlee, yeah, if and when there's a trade for PJ, which is not – I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating for a, a trade for PJ, though. I think we're going to discuss some of those hypotheticals later in this pod. So I think that's the obvious pathway. But just making sure Kai knows that like the team appreciates the energy that he's bringing – the positive attitude that he's bringing, the playmaking at the rim that he's bringing, and just continue to give it to him and try to expand his role and give him, I think, more definition in terms of what you what you're looking out of him in the half court instead of just crash the glass and get in, get out and transition. Yeah, which he's been really really good at. Like he has, I, I was just looking up looking it up. I mean, he's got 11 percent offensive rebound uh, rate this year. That's, that's super good. It's like 80th percent of his, uh, position. So, you know, the things to your point that he's being asked to do, he's doing them well. 
Um, the offensive numbers, effective field goal percentage, all that stuff, just turn your eyes away. But nobody, <laughs> nobody expected that to be good right now. I mean, I, yeah, I don't have a ton to add from what you said. I think you nailed it. You know, I would certainly love to see uh, experimenting with him at the five. I know there's not a lot of those opportunities right now with Nick Richards and Mason Plumley and PJ Washington. It's like, where do you even find those kind of minutes? Uh, and you brought up right at the end what I was going to mention is that, hey, you know, late February, early March, we might have a lot of opportunities to try guy yeah. in a lot of different situations yeah. because this roster could look very, very different uh, due to trades. But yeah, I, I mean, I would say right now, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a night is mm-hmm. probably, uh, you, you know, yeah. a, a pretty fair shake. And yeah. then let's just see what happens at the trade deadline. Yeah. But I am, I am happy and encouraged that they're forcing him, him on the court right now. Like, yeah. you know, this is, we, we've, litigated this to exhaustion in the past but you know you, you spent a first round pick uh you or excuse me you you traded a first round pick. we'll see we'll see how that thing gets conveyed by the way like it, it's it, it, you know we'll see but to your yeah. point like i mean it's yeah. protected in a way in charlotte's path is headed in a way where it's like we'll maybe see. not yeah maybe we'll see. but to yeah. your point i mean it is you know it, in it theory, is, though, it's like when you made the trade, yeah. you did it expecting to spend the first round pick, right? <laughs> yes. like, so, yeah. So, like, yeah. Um, but it, yes, you, you're correct. The Hornets might might get a, a, a yeah. decent There's shape. a ways to go. There's a ways to go. But yeah. But there is. There is. Yeah. Um, um, well, the other thing I would say just quickly yeah. about Kai is like it, you're looking at this team. They're, it, they obviously need to rebuild. And luckily, they were able to find some young guys with Bryce McGowan's in the second round, Theo, Theo Maldon, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., some of these guys like kind of on the scrap heap. Then Nick Richards, who, I mean, like I'll, I'll come clean. Like I, I, I mean, I was never like fully out on – I never thought Richards like wasn't an NBA player, but I, I kind of thought he was a fringe of the roster, just pure center depth guy. And it's not he's, – he's moving so much better. He's playing very well as a – screen and roll and an offensive rebounder in the half court. And, and he gives them something in the drop defensively and some rim protection. But, um, you know, you look at the last two seasons, man, they've taken in the, in the 2021 and the 2022 draft combined, they had, they had two top 20 picks in 2021 with book Knight and Kai. They had, they had, they had three, there were part of me. They had two top 15 picks in 2022. They traded one of those. And Jalen Duran, who's looked very good for Detroit, they passed up on AJ Griffin, who's looked awesome for Atlanta. Passed up on Tari Easton, who's looked awesome for Houston. They drafted Mark Williams. He's played in three games, so it's like you just you got to get something out of out of some of these first round pick guys. And, and Kai seems like right now the most obvious candidate because I, I don't want to keep bashing Book Knight, but just the season's been a total failure for him. So getting something out of Kai feels. It feels it feels it feels really good. I gotta say because they're kind of desperate to get some positive vibes out of the, the young first round picks. Definitely. All right. So the second part of this or third part of this question, I guess, was what is Clifford's aversion to playing PJ at the five? I'll cast out a few thoughts here, and then you can jump in, but. You know, I think it's more of a challenge this year. Um, I think that you just brought up some of the re- like Nick Richards has been that good, and I think the Hornets do owe it to themselves, especially considering they did not extend PJ uh, before the October deadline to figure out what they have in Nick Richards. Um, you know, Mason Plumley has not been bad, you know, but it, it it's like almost in, insignificant though because this team's so bad. Like it's like okay, cool. So he hadn't been Mason hadn't been so bad. He's doing some decent things, but what does it actually matter? So we could probably still get to those PJ at five minutes if we just decided to move on. Uh, you know, ask Mason to to sit down. But yeah, I, I think it's a minutes allocation issue. I think it's a a scheme slash philosophical issue for Steve Clifford. I think we learned over the past few seasons that James Borrego would, would get to that PJ at five look as, as quickly as he could. Um, and it was pretty consistently efficient in terms of, you know, differential, how efficient it was, uh, you know, on both sides of the floor. When PJ was playing five, the Hornets were almost always 
on the positive end of that. So I, I yeah, I think it's a, a Steve Clifford philosophical thing. And I think it's the Hornets saying, finally leaning into, let's figure out what we got with Richards. Now Kai Jones in the mix, Mason Plumlee is our starting center. It's like where this minutes coming from, but I would like to see more of it. But at this point, I'm not so upset uh, about the fact that we, we haven't seen it. And I would even go as far to say, and we'll talk about this more later too, but um, I do think PJ Washington is a real serious trade candidate for this team. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I, yeah. I, I, I mirror your thoughts for PJ. I mean, like I think it comes down to three things. One, because they haven't had LaMelo uh, or and Gordon Hayward's missed a lot of time. Dennis Smith Jr.'s missed a fair amount of time. They're just, they need like half court offensive creation and, I'm not the biggest fan of let's run action at the elbow through Plumlee, but he does give them some kind of hub to like, to like start offense from right. And to get guys cutting around and get some movement. So there's that you mentioned the scheme part of it, like drop defense is their base defense. And that's something you can't like PJ's, uh, you know, has, has played some drop during his NBA career, but, and he's has a seven, three wingspan, but he's, Six seven and like when you play him at center or part of me when you play him, like the way when he's at center, the way you set up your defense is he's probably going to trap, which those have always been a disaster for Charlotte. Not because of PJ, just because the rest of the personnel. You switch or you play zone. Yeah, you, you know? owe it to yourself. In other words, if you're going to play that kind of scheme, to be aggressive. Yeah, exactly. And that's not Clifford's. That's yeah. yeah. He's and, not going to lean into that. And like the other one, and maybe we're starting to see the tide change on this a little bit, but it's just, especially with with um, with Gordon hurt. But I think it's tougher to get to the small ball pieces, and and with with Cody Martin hurt too, which is like if you're going to play small, you need pace and length and athleticism yeah. and aggression on the right. wing, and you know you need different guys to create mismatches for you in the half court offensively. So you've missed a, a hub of offense like Hayward that can go to work against a bunch of position types. Martin is a guy that isn't like an A-plus defender or a stopper, but is a winning play type defender, scrappy, do the dirty work, put out fires, you know, be versatile and, and hustle on that side of the court. Certainly, no, I mean, again, I don't, we don't like talking about him in these terms, but Bridges was a huge small ball piece for the Hornets the last couple of years, and he's sure. not playing for them. And so I do think they've missed – like they're they're out some of the wingy pieces. I think the hope would be that as the year continues to like go down this path, that you would play Kai Jones more with PJ. You'd play JT Thor more with PJ. So if you're willing to go to that, some of that, some of that stuff, you've got McDaniels, McGowans. There's, there are ways you could do this, but I do think they're missing some of that stuff. I just come back to the belief that this team literally last in the league in offense, bottom four in half-court offense. It is crazy to me that they haven't tried it more. Despite all – I mean, we can list out all the reasons why. But for a team that is so starved for offense, it is a little surprising that they haven't uh, gone to it gone to it more. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. And, and hopefully one of the reasons is they are actively trying to um, – beat themselves it doesn't it doesn't always <laughs> feel like that but sometimes it, it does yeah you're right i mean they're like competitive enough where it's like what yeah but but yeah sometimes <laughs> just, you, yeah. you would like you would like to at least hope right but yeah just as you went like you know as you were wrapping up there mcgowan's thor uh you know all these all these guys that we know have potential but we just don't know enough about yet cody martin yeah he just got re-signed to a to a very fair deal but like there are ways for the Hornets to get there. Um, I feel strongly now it's not going to be with PJ Washington because if they didn't extend him, it's just like they kind of have to trade him now. Like they just, you have to, right? So, but there are pieces on this roster and young pieces that allow you to get to those kind of looks. Um, so we, maybe we'll see that with Clifford one day, maybe not, but it is a, it's a true holding period. It feels like right now from that sense. Um, all right, BG. Well, let's let's transition into some trade talks here, and and just kind of bounce around a few players that we feel are likely or uh, more likely than the rest of the roster to be moved. Let's start with PJ Washington, probably the obvious candidate at this point because of his ability to shoot the outside shot, because of his ability to be versatile defensively. Um, just you know, kind of do a little bit of everything on the floor. And let's start with the Lakers. 
Uh, they've gone on a recent surge. I think if you identified one thing on the roster they need, um, it's shooting and perimeter defense, wing defense, and P.J. Washington seems to check a lot of those boxes. What Just generally, what are your thoughts about P.J. on that roster? And then maybe – I can give some thoughts about what a deal might look like and you can, you can, I, I mean, I, I think he would be a great fit on that. Again, I hate how well he would fit on that team. I mean, given how Anthony Davis is playing, there's a lot, I mean, he could back up AD and there's a lot of lineups where you could play with those two guys together. Right. I mean, very easily those guys fit nicely as a four or five duo in some small ball or small ish lineups it helps with the defensive versatility. He helps with the team defense. He gives you some secondary rim protection. He opens the floor with his shooting. And I don't think he would be relied on for much playmaking, but it, he has shown some ability to attack closeouts. He's shown some ability to face up and score. He's shown some ability to post up versus switches or playmake from the elbow. So he'd give them an, he would be there for his defense and for the shooting. That's what, that's what gets him. That's like what that's what gets him in the door. But he could also maybe give them a little bit of like a pinch of offensive creation, um, at least in the regular season, I suppose. So I think he would fit like I mean, again, I think he would fit pretty well for them um, if the Hornets were, in fact, looking to move him and looking to move him for whatever the Lakers have to offer. Yeah, it, it, it's super interesting. I mean, I, I agree with you. I was thinking about this today. Um, I think he's a great fit with the Lakers, and I, I think he's actually, in a lot of ways, exactly what that roster needs, especially when you consider you know, Russ, LeBron, and AD, and the way AD's playing now. He's hardly shooting the outside at all and dominating around the glass. Like, mm-hmm. man, I mean, he would be just the perfect power forward. And AD's doing all this as a five right now, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he would be the perfect fit. I think that if and Zach Lowe mentioned this on his pod today, I was listening to him and um, and David McMinimum that that maybe Mitch Kupchak would not be uh, <laughs> so kind in, yeah. in any kind of trade deals, considering his past with that franchise, um, maybe how it ended. But I, I just think if you're the Hornets, that's where the Lakers have leverage, right? It's like, well, he's a restricted free agent, so you you hang on to him. Because yeah. he's just an expiring contract to you. If you didn't already extend him, you're probably not going to in the offseason, right? Because somebody's going to outbid you. Or you can trade him to us now for – that's what makes me nervous, yeah. right? For what? Yeah. I, I would imagine the Lakers don't put a pick on the table a more, or maybe they heavily protect 27 or 29. I, then if that's the and case, they, though, then I'm, I'm walking away from that one. You know what I mean? I, like that, and that, that's, that's the yeah. – uh, I, I got to get because because PJ fit PJ can fit on any roster. I think. Yeah, I think it's part of the is like one of the things because like he's a he's a hybrid front court guy that can shoot threes like at high volume from above the break. You know, and that that's a good point. But I I think that it, it would be a very interesting standoff because he he would fit on most rosters in the league, but. Yeah. Yeah. There's one roster that's most desperate, right? So yeah. who's going to wear that win that staring contest? It, it, it's it, like you guys can say whatever you want, but if you really actually think you're contenders now and you want to you really want to benefit in some way yeah. from what's left of this LeBron AD window, then like stare so and that's what I mean, we could this is like a whole podcast, but that's what's so frustrating about not extending PJ yeah. in the first place. You could have extended him and then still traded him. Yeah. Right. But, and then he would be that much worth, but, you know, it, it, you would have whoever is trading for him would ha- have him under contract for that much longer. But the fact now that he's effectively an expiring contract to you, but you have to trade him and his bird rights as to a team that they're not just going to trade him as a not not a young player like that. Like if they're yeah. if they're taking him in, they're seeing him as like a long term piece of the roster. So it's a very frustrating and kind of convoluted situation but, from both ends. But that's also two things. One, that's I think a couple weeks ago, Low was even someone who floated this. Where I'd be curious to know your thoughts about any hypothetical that sends PJ to Golden State because it's like. 
they the, the Warriors can't afford to extend him, right? So that's so it's like, can we do we just take all of those hypotheticals? I think you can build a couple like kind of interesting hypotheticals to send PJ to Golden State, but I just I just don't I just don't like what do they, what do they do? Like they they have so much money tied up long term yeah. in in a core already. Like they already have way too much money parked on the books going forward probably. Um, so I just don't, I don't see how you, you bring PJ in and are just like, yeah, we'll pay him 15 to $20 million a year too, on top of Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Like unless you moved one of those guys or a couple of those guys or whatever, I guess. But man, yeah, with a team like that, I think it would have to involve like a bigger contract, um, from Golden State and from Charlotte for that matter. And like, that would almost be like a, a Draymond metric because i just don't like to your point i don't see how golden state and maybe they would yeah. like maybe yeah. like i'm like whatever like i'll buy i'll i'll, I'll pay yeah a hundred million you know like a, a yeah. billion dollars in tax money like maybe he will <laughs> but I, I i would see golden state being like we're gonna treat this as a rental yeah yeah uh, and yeah. let him go into restricted free agency which then is just like a divincenzo and like draft compensation yeah. for pj which if i'm Charles, i'm like eh, okay I'm, yeah I, i'm not that interested i think i saw a couple people float like pj versus wiseman and like that can work salary wise yeah. but like i just don't the value proposition to that is weird because like I, I think golden like i need more than james wiseman for pj washington i just do like i i gotta have something there's got to be a little bit more attached to it like you, you just sent this guy to the G League, right? You know, you know yeah. like I, I need a little. I need a little bit more uh, than I. I know. agree, BG, but this is the whole problem when you don't just extend a player, yeah, because you've already shown your hand. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, it will. And I mean, the yeah. other, the other thing I, I was thinking about this um, over the weekend, maybe earlier this week, I almost texted you about this too, which is it. it look. You can do this – every team can do this with a couple of players every every few years. But just seeing what the what Malik Monk is doing in Sacramento. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's just say it, about two and a half years ago in the summer of 2020 when Malik was – I mean he was – COVID's happening. Malik was – I think had just been reinstated after his suspension. And you and I made the case for why Charlotte should consider trying to extend Malik Monk. Get some cost certainty. Maybe get him at a bit of a discount, even that off season, and then what? Like, the last each of the next three years, he's gotten better, and better, and better. And like right now, he might he's like might be one of the top contenders for the sixth man of the year at age twenty five or whatever he is. And you could have you, you you just you could have extended him. You could have done it, and instead you literally let him walk for nothing a year later. If I were it's crazy, I've thought about this so many times, and maybe I've said it on the pod before. I, I can't remember, but if there was one thing. If I was an outside consultant for Charlotte and I could tell him <laughs> one thing, it would be you need to extend more players on rookie contracts, regardless of what their performance have been, their off-court situation has been. You got to make the uh, the rest of the league feel like there's potential in these guys. And also, you never know. Like to your point, BG, maybe Monk Monk might have just done that on this team, right? Yeah. Or done it last year, and yeah. and now all of a sudden. Number one, you still have them on great contracts, right? Because there's no leverage for them to get great extension numbers. And then number two, now their trade value is way better. The the best way to cover up shitty player development is to have very tradable contracts in that mid zone, right? Cody Martin number, $7 million, $8 million, $9 million, $10. Charlotte just continuously shoots themselves in the foot in both of those areas. I mean, they don't develop players. And they don't extend them, so they don't have any trade assets. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. league bond case, and, the, the and cycle, it's also it, the PJ Washington yeah. case. It looks like it's playing out for the cycle repeats itself. Um, yeah, and yeah, I mean it's like it. I mean seeing what Caleb Martin has turned into with Miami this season as well. It's like another guy that you you let walk out the door. I mean, like, like I don't think any of us were this again. I don't want to like make the case for. At no point was I saying, oh, the Hornets have to bring back Caleb Martin. But, man, it's another guy you, you brought up. You, you brought him into the league, and now he's gone to another team and has just hit another level. It's Just invest in something. If it's yeah. not going to be player development, then invest in really creative salary cap tactics. Even if you don't like the guy and you don't think he's a fit for your franchise organization, whatever. Yeah. Sign him on yeah. a low number yeah. and trade him later. Yeah. Like it, This is not yeah. rocket science. But yeah. 
to do. do. Are there any, are you going back to the Hornets and the Lakers? Are there any other hypotheticals? I mean, like there's, there's a bunch of guys on Charlotte's roster. Maybe it's a little bit, maybe less if Hayward's hurt, but I mean, Terry Rozier makes sense as a trade candidate for them too. Does he not In, in, in part because there are ways to get Rozier that don't include having like you could get Rozier for what uh, Kendrick Nunn and Pat Bev. I think yeah, that works money wise. You know, pe- like those two yeah. guards in the the twenty twenty nine or twenty twenty seven first round pick for Terry Rozier, who you who's got some some runway on his contract. If you're interested in that, I know the shooting hasn't been good this year, but. We know he's a proven shooter the last three plus years. So yeah. I don't know. What do you th- what do you think of Rozier or any of the other guys on Charlotte's roster? Yeah, I maybe think Rozier, with the Lakers. Yeah, I think Rozier would be the next guy, you know, discussed behind PJ. I mean, I think the idea that you brought up none, Beverly, and a pick uh, would be a tough conversation. But, you know, if the Lakers continue to improve and feel like shooting is that much of a uh, you know, a real asset to them continuing to win. I, I think it's, I think it's a conversation. It's a big number. The Lakers would end up. I think I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I think they would still end up taking on more salary there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I you know the Hayward thing. I, I just he's not playing. There's been all these weird reports. Like I, I just think he's going to be really hard to trade. I, I think it's too much. I think there was a maybe. I think there was there's the chance for the if there wasn't a window of time. I think the possibility existed. Like if he just had, if he's healthy the first fifty games of the season and he's playing well, and things are really going, like the Lakers are semi-competitive, but things with Russ just like completely have boiled over. It's like yeah. maybe the possibilities exist, but that's a tough needle to thread. And because that exact scenario hasn't happened, it seems just so. It feels so unlikely that this is like possible. Yeah. I would say if I had to like prioritize those three guys, I would say PJ Washington is the clear like trade that is most likely to happen a month or month and a half or maybe even two months um, prior to the trade deadline because of his contract situation too. Yeah. It's like the Hornets are, are behooved to do that too because literally the clock's ticking. He's yeah. more valuable today than he will be tomorrow. So I, I and, and I think the Lakers is a good fit. Rozier, to me, like as long as he stays healthy and maybe the shooting numbers tick up a little bit. I mean, I think everyone on this roster is a little overtaxed offensively this year. But I I think you can trade that guy at the clock because of his one elite utility. Shooting. I think think that – I mean, I don't want to speak for both of us, but imagining him on a contending roster, he's going to be a better shooter. For sure. Right. For right. sure. But like, sure. so I, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I still think you can, it's a big number. Yes. But there are a lot of teams that will be looking to buy, I think, at the trade deadline. And if you consider there's going to be anywhere from seven, eight, nine, ten tops teams that are selling, like that's advantageous for Charlotte, right? Yeah. Like you can sell a guy like Rozier because of his one utility. Yeah. Uh, Hayward, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, like TBD because he's got to play. Like you can't. Yeah can't sell multi-years on that huge contract if he's not playing. I just don't know where things go from here with him. Um, I, you know, if they were, if they were contending this season, it was like almost contingent on him being like healthy and ready to play and almost, you know, miraculously being able to play, you know, 65 to 70 games or whatever. Um, it just there. It just it's tough to think of a scenario where that would happen, and then they would also trade him. It's like if you got that much games from him, you probably would be at a level as a team where I think you would misread the room and say, "Well, we can get we can make the play in or whatever. We got to hang on to this guy." And so I don't know. The, the the further the more the deeper we get into this, the more it's just like they're probably just gonna have to like wind up the clock on this thing. Like I I don't. It's not it's not going to be super pleasant for everybody. Um, if he's not traded next season could get really weird. Um, just having him like there, you know, (laughs) but you know, just like around, um, I don't think this is the the kind of contract that you want to stretch or whatever. If, and when the time comes, maybe they could do that, but it'll still be a, a semi big number parked on the the books going forward. So I don't know. It's just going to be a weird situation with Gordon going forward in, in, I talked. I talked about this. I think with Lee or Richie a couple weeks ago to Spencer. But 
I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this. Like, what do you feel about maybe not a lot of chatter this offseason, but at least some talk this offseason and preseason coming into it saying the Hornets were going to have a plan to like rest Hayward, right? And then I'm not even trying to like make, I'm not, I don't even want to go too far into um, some of the conflicting reports about whether the shoulder was, was healthy or not, or how ridiculous it would be for a team to try to get a guy like that to play, just given everything happening around his health history and where the team is in terms of its overall trajectory. But it just it is a little disappointing, right, that this there was no actual plan for this guy, right? In terms of like load management. It was just like, oh, he's healthy, he's gonna play and play a lot. And then when he's not healthy, then he's probably sitting. And then and then you're getting nothing from it. He's just parked there, you can't trade him, and he's not helping you win yeah. basketball games. Just it's I don't know. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on like kind of how the Hayward situation was handled in general, or is that maybe even too big of something to get into it <laughs> as we're in like I think I can like, yeah, buzz through it pretty quickly. Um, I would take that as a load management. Like we haven't seen a lot of Hayward the past few seasons anyway. So like as we ease our way into the season, yeah, he's going to get nights off. That's what I heard Clifford say. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear Clifford say we were going to give him nights off in the first 20 games of the year. Right. Yeah. And but so, like, but it's like, well, the, but that's yeah. what, you know, I mean, then but it's not yeah, going to work. You know? I, like, no, I, I, I hear you, though. Um, I, you know, I don't – my opinion would be like – and this isn't Hayward's fault. Like, he yeah, get hurt. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing you can do about right. it. But, like, you just don't earn the benefit of the doubt to get, like, to get nights off or to be managed in that way when you're not available in the first place very yeah. consistently. Yeah. You know, and and, and when you That's play fair. on you know, when when a small market is paying you that much money, you know, we need you to play basketball games. <laughs> and he was earlier in the year. Yeah. You know, he was playing. And I and I, my take would just be like the Hornets were kind of riding the hot hand and did they get carried away uh and play him too many minutes early in the season and try to stay in the hunt as MJ and Clifford would naturally do. Yeah, maybe they did. But you know, at the same time, that we're we're not talking about LeBron James, right? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, like it, it's Gordon Hayward. Like, sorry, man, we're paying you like twenty five yeah. million dollars a year. We got you a game. Tonight. Yeah, we got a game tonight. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I don't know, and yeah. I just. But yes, I I would say if I'm a PR person, like you know, looking back twenty twenty, you know, I would say I don't know, Steve. Maybe I wouldn't have said we were going to load manage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe yeah. that's not going to land real yeah. well. Like yeah. when the team's seven and seventeen. I, yeah. Um, okay. Last thing here: Are there any any thoughts or any hypothetical deals you like for two of the veteran expiring contracts on this roster, Mason Plumley and Kelly Oubre? Yeah, I mean, we talked about Plumley. I think we talked about the Clippers with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of racking my brain on on other landing spots. Yeah. Um, Clippers, the Clippers make. I think the Clippers make some. It makes some sense. It's like tough to find the guy. Yeah. Who it would be? I mean, they have so many wings, but like, would you do? Would you do Plumley for Robert Covington in like a second round pick? I'd do Plumley for a second round pick. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I know you need a salary, but yeah, I mean, just yeah. come up with a salary. Yeah, doesn't even have to be a Roko kind of guy. Like, it's just, just like he's kind of like in. like he's only played in fifteen games for them this season. He's not shooting really yeah. well. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't like to be clear. Like, I don't think I don't think the Clippers would like to do this because, like, I don't think. I mean, I think Plumley is like a decent backup center. I don't know if he's a huge upgrade, and Covington is a small ball option that's played well for them in the postseason yeah. before. So I don't see that happening, but those salaries fit. He's not having that great of a season. I, I don't even think you know the Clippers need to do like a consolidation trade, but this is something that would allow them to get another playmaker on the court. The half-court offense has been like a little stodgy, a little stuck in the mud, a little one-dimensional this season. Plumley adds a little bit of variety with his ability to facilitate on the break or facilitate at the elbow um, and be a backup for Zubac. And, um, but I just, I don't, I mean, again, if I was Charlotte, I would do that in a heartbeat, especially because you could probably flip Covington again for something later. But, some, yeah. but yeah, I don't, yeah. but I don't, I, I think that's too good. I think that's, I don't think the Clippers would do that. And it's just, it's hard to find, it's hard to find the other, the other guys. 
The only other team I have thought about for Plumlee is Dallas. Um, and it would yeah, be a super yeah. on the fringe move for them. You know, I, Christian Wood, I don't think they're ready to lean into him at five. You know, you still got Pal there. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. how many times do you need to see this movie to know that maybe you need, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I'm not sure that they're right. Maybe they're not ready for that kind of deal because that would kind of require them bringing Plumlee in, like actually giving him four to five to six touches from the elbow a game yeah. and like yeah. getting Luke off ball, you know, they're probably not ready for that. But yeah. I do think that it might unlock some things for them. And that, that's just something hard to do in, in the, in the middle of the season. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And like, I mean, I think, I think a team like, I, th- I do think the Clippers are a team that could kick the can on Rozier. Um, you know, I, again, I, I don't, I don't know. Again, there it's it's hard to see them parting ways with any of these wings because they're pretty valuable. Yeah. But it's like you can build something that's like, you know, Morris and Amir Coffee and a pick for Terry Rozier. You know, it's like that, that just dawned on me though. Like, why wouldn't Dallas kick the tires on Rozier? I mean, he would help them out. Uh, he would help them out like quite hard a hard away Rozier swap with some stuff. Yeah, that would make yeah. some sense because like he give him another secondary ball handler. I mean, he's not Brunson obviously, but no. you know Dinwiddie's given them something on the ball. Rozier could give you something on the ball. There's a lot of ways you could use Rozier with Doncic. Um, so I don't know. That's something. That's something to consider. And you have like the wing defenders around, like. Uh, Maybe a Rozier Doncic backcourt defensively is just like not tenable for the postseason. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. So that, that's something to think about. But yeah, I agree. Like offensively, it has a lot of potential. And that, like I said, I think there will there will be landing spots for Rozier. I have no doubt about that. Um, I mean, I'm sure the rest of the league would like to see the shooting numbers come up, but I think they also understand what we've talked about that this offense is just anemic and it, it would be hard for anyone yeah. to be successful in it. I, I've even thought about Rozier in Toronto, you know, yeah. something like that. He would, yeah. I mean, they could use, I mean, they could use his, especially if they're not sure what they want to do about Trent. Um, right. You know, that then all of a sudden that opens a door and, uh, Rozier would give him some shooting and, you know, again, you at least, I think some teams look at that guy and say, Oh, maybe some teams would look at him and say, we don't want that much long-term salary now parked on our, our books. I could see some other teams saying, no, we like Terry Rozier a lot. We like the shot making, yeah. we like the movement shooting. We're happy to have him, um, into his early thirties on this, with his, with this contract. I, I don't think every GM, I don't think every team and GM in the league looks at that and says, that's a problem. Um, I think some of them would, in fact, might look at it as a as a as, po- as a positive. To me, if you've got ball creation on your roster, a good amount of it, like more than one yeah. option, um, and above average wing defending, yeah, then just just like put those teams into a bucket, and yeah. those are the teams that Terry Rozier needs to. That's why to, need to be thinking about him. For. That's why Toronto is like a little is like a little interesting too. Like you, you yeah, know, sort of touched right. on it too, at least in terms of like the wing, the defensive wings on that roster, and the fact that they also have guys like Van Vliet and Siakam um, that can that can create with the basketball, and you can get Terry off ball and that type of stuff too. So um, maybe they don't quite have like the movement half court side to side that. Really like makes Rozier sing as a weapon, but um, and I continue. And we we can wrap up here, but I continue to think that there might be a deal out there for Kelly Oubre. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of you know I don't know I like earlier today I was just goofing around and I was like looking at um, you know could the are the Bucks are the Bucks looking to add at the deadline here? Like they have, their roster is so good, they're excellent, but the offense is middle of the pack and look, maybe Milton just solves that when he comes back and they're there for a lot of reasons. They're tough to work a trade with, but um, it, I, I don't think, you know, if Uber is a guy that really like fits their defensive system either, but I don't know that it just, if it, it feels like they could use a splash offensively on the wing that could help pressure the rim a little bit and, and maybe give them some other additional creation. So maybe Uber, but I don't think so because of the fit defensively and because, they're like the, the assets they have to trade are just like pretty pretty limited. Um, uh, what about um, Memphis for Kelly Oubre? Just like that a would, team that yeah. you know, just like you know, David Roddy's nice. I like yeah. him. And Dylan Brooks is going to be out there and guard the opposing wing's best player. But like, just somebody that is not going to be overtaxed defensively, mm-hmm. and then just come in and take some open shots. Yeah, yeah. Play off of Jaw. Maybe give you yeah. some, give you some drives. Give you some give you some shooting. I'll give you, you know, the occasional pick and roll. So, you know, I mean, like, again, I think there's, 
It's just I will be curious to see if he's moved, um, what that looks like. Because I don't think everything Kelly Oubre has done offensively has been like smoke and mirrors this season. Though I do think he's getting, you know, he's making the most of a situation, which credit to him. But yeah. you know, I don't, I don't. You know, Kelly Oubre is not someone that's I don't think is really like driving, winning with his basketball. So you'd be taking him on as yeah. a flyer, you know. So um, he, he needs to be in a in, in a winning culture. He needs to be the sixth or seventh, eighth guy. But yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, man. Like I. He's better in – it sounds weird to say, but he is better in, like, standstill situations. Like, yeah. where he either catches and shoots or he stares down, you know, his defender is like, oh, I can actually take you. Yeah. As long as I can get to my left hand. Like, I can actually get into the paint, either get to the line or, uh, yeah. or get off a shot, yeah. you know, in a dangerous area. Yeah. So, I've been – yeah, I have been pleasantly surprised with Ubre. It's not a different Ubre. It's the same Ubre, right? Like, it, he's playing the same way. He's been <laughs> – a tick more efficient, but it's just not something I saw coming. So it is kind of, and I to answer your question uh, or add to what you said, I, I really think that maybe that's the one guy the Hornets should be most desperate to get off of just yeah. because it seems like such a low cost, yeah, like yeah. easy trade to make. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Here's a spark plug, 6'8", six, 6'7", six, whatever, yeah. offensive guy that just, yeah. just give us something. Yeah, right? if you get a you can get, firing contract. It could be a, yeah, that and a, Blah, second round pick, and yeah, consider that right. like a small victory on the margin. Last thing I would say too, like if PJ is not dealt with the deadline, I'm not. I mean, I'll be curious to see like what the restricted free agency market looks like for him this off season. I'm not like opposed to Charlotte, depending on other things they do with the deadline, especially if someone like Terry Rozier is moved or whatever. Like, I'm not opposed to them bringing PJ back because I think maybe you could, like, a he could be part of the core going forward. Or like you might be able to trade trade him down the line too. You know what I mean. So, but I think that'll just depend on certainly uh, what the market looks like for him this season. And I mean, I don't think you know PJ's not getting a max, but it only takes one team to throw a you know eighty five million dollar, hundred million dollar contract at that guy. And I guess then what do you do? But um, well, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm with you. I'm not opposed to yeah. him being brought back either. I just think that like. You, you've shown the league kind of what your intentions are. And yeah, sure. You, you tell him in the off season, if you don't trade him, you know, go, go bring us an offer. Yeah. And I know he will. I just, I'm not bullish on the fact that Charlotte will actually have a, I mean, they have plenty of money. They can match whatever they want. Right. right. But not, I'm not bullish on the fact that they would because everything's coming at a premium this summer with this new deal coming down the road, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so teams are not just looking at this summer. They're looking at, five, six years down yeah, the road, right, we're like, right. we can overpay. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, it, it's a short-sighted, whatever. We've already talked about yeah, it. It was yeah. a short-sighted decision when they didn't extend it. Yep, yep. This was fun. Yep. Anything else? Yep, no. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate the support. And we ask that you, uh, if you like our pod, to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to shows. That really does help us out. Uh, thank you to, again, everyone who listened in and for uh, put up with our ramblings on Virginia basketball to start the podcast. Uh, Spencer, it is wonderful to see you. It was a lot of fun recording this with you. And yeah, we will see you guys next time. Go Hornets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.